Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Hi, I'm Chelsea Clinton, and this is In Fact, a podcast about why public health matters, even when we're not in a pandemic. Today, we're talking about environmental justice. Recently on this podcast, we talked to activist Jane Fonda and Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms about the global public health crisis that is climate change. Compounding that crisis is another one, environmental racism. For years, Black Americans, Latino communities, Native Americans, Asian Americans, and Pacific Islanders have all been disproportionately impacted by environmental hazards, including toxic waste dumps, landfills, oil refineries, fracking, chemical manufacturers, and more. In fact, one report found that more than half of the people living within less than two miles of toxic waste facilities in the United States are people of color. This isn't an accident or a coincidence. It's the result of policy choices, corporate practices, and deliberate actions. The environmental justice movement is fighting back against environmental racism and for climate justice. It was started and is led by advocates, primarily people of color, who are determined to build communities and a country where it's possible to live, work, go to school, and spend time outside without getting sick. 
Today, I'm talking with three people I deeply admire. We'll hear from Juan Paras, founder of Tejas, an organization standing up to the powerful oil and gas industry in his hometown of Houston, Texas. I'll be talking with Secretary of the Interior, Deb Haaland, the first Native American to serve as a cabinet secretary who is responsible for our public lands. But first, I'm talking with my good friend, Dr. Mona Hanna-Atisha. In April 2014, the city of Flint, Michigan, a black majority city, changed its water source. This seemingly simple act sparked one of the biggest environmental health crises in recent memory. When it was discovered that water from the new source was corroding the lead pipes in Flint, causing lead to be in the water. Now, for anyone who may not know, there is no safe level of exposure to lead. Drinking or bathing in water that contains lead can lead to serious and long-term health challenges, especially for kids. While Flint may not be in the headlines every day, the people who live in Flint are still very much living with the effects of this crisis every day. No one knows that better than Dr. Mona Hanna-Atisha, a pediatrician in Flint. Dr. Mona, as she's known by her patients, was one of the people who spoke out early and forcefully about what was happening in Flint and why it was a crisis. I so admire her bravery and was honored to talk to her about her experiences in Flint and the lessons we should apply to our current public health crisis. Hi, Dr. Mona. Thank you for being here. Oh, Chelsea, it's, it's great to connect with you. I, I sincerely enjoy these opportunities. We met in February of 2016 when I was there in Flint with you as part of my mom's campaign and yet very much felt like I was there as a mom. My daughter Charlotte was you know, not even two and I was quite pregnant with my son Aiden. And it just was so horrifying to me in every part of my heart that we had so failed parents and kids in Flint. While I know there was a saturation of news about Flint five years ago, could you just give a brief overview of what happened? Before the water crisis, what famously did Flint bring to our nation? Cars. Cars. So Flint was the birthplace of cars. And even more than the birthplace of cars, Flint was also the birthplace of the middle class in America. Because of some amazing kind of resistance and organizing by auto workers in the 1930s, they went on strike. It was called the strike that was heard around the world, the sit-down strikes. They were demanding things like living wages and benefits and health care and occupational safety and the chance to be part of the prosperity of that industry. And amazingly, they won. So then for the first time, really working people got access to things like living wages and weekends and benefits. And Flint became this promised land. It's hard to believe, but not even that long ago, 1970s, Flint had the highest per capita income in the country. And thus it became this place where immigrants from all over the world came, African-Americans and the Great Migration North came to Flint and places like Flint for opportunity and prosperity. Not necessarily always equality, but, you know, better than the Jim Crow South. And then through purposeful policy decisions like racist real estate practices, redlining and blockbusting and decreased revenue sharing and, and white flight and all these things that happened, also not unique to Flint, Flint became a victim of extreme capitalism, jobs were lost, plants closed, and the people who had the power and the privilege to leave the city left the city. And that left Flint segregated, and it left Flint almost bankrupt as a city because the city relied on its tax base for its services. In 2011, Flint got taken over by the state. So we were under something called emergency management. 
Yeah, but that's an important point. Flint was living under direct control by the state. So effectively, like not the mayor or the council that they would have voted for. And that by 2014, half of Michigan, right, was like living under emergency management. Yeah, half of the African-American population in the state was under emergency management compared to 2% of the white population. So there was actually national media on the story before we were anything of a water story, but when we were just a democracy story. And so it was those emergency managers that reported to the governor that decided that to save money, they would change our water source from the Great Lakes to the Flint River. And we had been getting high quality fresh water from Lake Huron for, you know, close to a century. And in April of 2014, the decision was made in an effort to save money. And our our former mayor who had no power and a bunch of men in suits went on TV and they pressed a button and they toasted with our new water. And that toast did not herald good tidings. Can you just explain a little bit, Mona, about why it didn't herald good tidings? Because for people who might be listening, you think, well, all fresh water is the same. Not all fresh water is the same and not all pipes are the same. Our water was switched in April of 2014 and there was problems right away, color and odor and taste. And there was bacteria and then we had boil advisories and then they put a lot of chlorine to kill the bacteria. And people felt like they were drinking a glass of bleach or showering in a swimming pool. So lots of red flags from the beginning. But the most important thing that caused our our water to be unsafe was that it wasn't being treated properly. Corrosion control was not added to the water treatment. And that made our water in Flint about 20 times more corrosive than the water from the Great Lakes. And I want to share one of my favorite stories about science denial. So we had a group of fourth graders, a fourth grade class in the Flint area, collected Flint water and they collected Great Lakes water from Detroit. And they had a question. They're like, well, I wonder what the difference is. They put nails in each of the different waters and they noticed, oh my gosh, the nail in the Flint water was actually corroding 20 times faster than the nails in the Great Lakes water. That corrosive water ate up our pipes. And when that report came out from our fourth graders, the state said that the science was too complicated and too expensive, and they couldn't have done that or or known that. And it would have cost $100 a day to add the anti-corrosive treatment. It's unreal. $100 a day for the whole city, right? Not like per household or per zip code, the whole city. And how many examples do we need about the cost of prevention? Prevention is so much more cost effective than treatment. I love the words of Frederick Douglass, who 150 years ago said it's easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. And it's, it's timely here. Like if we had only treated this water properly, if we had only invested in the proactive preventative measures, we wouldn't be spending all these resources and time in terms of treatment right now. And so, Mona, you spoke about the fourth graders, and I hope that my children you know, are as curious and precocious and kind of justice-driven when they're old enough to be in fourth grade. When did you first realize something was wrong with the water? Uh, that's a great question. And it's one of my biggest regrets is that I didn't realize something was wrong earlier It was almost a year and a half after the water switched when I heard about the possibility of lead being in the water. I'd heard about the color and the odor and the bacteria and the water advisories. And after all of these red flags that happened, there was reassurance by the folks in charge that everything is okay. 
So, you know, I was also reassuring my patients for about a year and a half when they had concerns about the water safety. That all changed for me. And I can remember the the exact moment. It was the end of August of 2015. And it was not in my clinic. It was not with a patient. It was in my home with a high school girlfriend. And my high school girlfriend, of all things, had gone on to become a drinking water expert. And she was at my house. She had just moved back to Michigan. Our kids were playing. They were screaming in the background. She cornered me in the kitchen and she's like, Mona, have you heard about what's going on in Flint with the water? And I'm like, oh yeah, they know there's concerns, but the folks in charge say everything's okay. And she shared with me that she had just seen a memo from her former colleague at the EPA that said that the water wasn't being treated with this important ingredient, corrosion control. And because of that, there would be lead in the water. And when I heard the word lead, That's when I stopped sleeping. That's when I stopped eating. That's when my diet just consisted of coffee for the next several months. That's when my quest began to find out what was happening to the children. Because when anybody hears the word lead, it's a call to action. That's when my life changed. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, Somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. 
Can you just talk a little bit about why it's a call to action for you as a pediatrician, as a scientist, for people who may know that lead isn't good for us, but may not understand just how dangerous lead is to anyone, but especially to kids and to kids' brains? Lead is probably the oldest and most well-studied neurotoxin. There's no safe level of lead, zero. It impacts cognition, so it impacts how kids think. It actually lowers IQ levels. It impacts behavior, leading to things like developmental disabilities, attention problems, focusing problems. Lead exposure has also been linked to things like criminality and oppositional defiant disorders. We also now know that childhood exposure to lead can manifest much later in life with things like high blood pressure and, and early dementia and kidney disease and gout. And the really bad thing about lead, it's invisible. It's silent. Lead and water, you can't see, you can't taste. Your house could be beautiful and clean. And if you still have lead underneath layers of paint or in the dust, you'll still be exposed. What are you doing in Flint? And, and what do you think other people who might be concerned about kids' exposure to lead could be doing in their communities? You know, for so long, I, I wanted to believe that I could like write a prescription that could take this away. But that doesn't exist. There's, there's no magic pill that can take away what happened. But there is a lot that we can do and that we are doing to limit the impact of this exposure. We are also leaning on the incredible science of child development to put into place everything that kids need to be healthy and successful. What helps kids? What, what helps kids thrive? It's a lot of parenting support, high quality prenatal care and access to a medical home. It's high quality early childhood education. It's, it's home visiting. It's literacy support. It's transportation access. It's good nutrition. This is basic fundamental things that all kids need. But our kids in Flint didn't have that. And kids all over the country wake up to some of those same conditions that make it impossible for them to be healthy and successful. And I'm not naive to think that all these efforts for children is enough. We're also trying to address the bigger things like living wage jobs for their parents. We have an almost 70% child poverty rate in Flint. Like That's not okay. These are also really critical factors to make sure that communities can be healthy and thrive. Do you think the Flint water crisis would have happened in Ann Arbor? No. And your mom said that right away. It never would have happened. It never would have happened in a richer or wider community. People who are poor, people of color disproportionately bear the burden of environmental contamination. Can we talk about environmental racism, but also, as you mentioned, that environmental impacts or maybe the mismanagement and the exploitation of the environment fall most heavily on kids of color in our country and especially Black kids? Flint absolutely wasn't the first example of environmental racism. 30 years ago, I was in a classroom looking at maps that showed, oh my gosh, this community has more exposure to environmental contamination than this community. This is the science. They know it's, it's the placement of polluting refineries and trash burning incinerators and dumps. You know, they're predominantly in these minority communities. This has been going on for decades and the science is absolutely clear in regards to the burden of this environmental contamination. And I'm grateful that Flint has been able to shine a big spotlight on this issue. As we come up with our anti-racist plans, as we actively work to address these longstanding systemic injustices, things like lead elimination, safe housing, they need to be at the top of the list. 
So I'm, I'm hopeful, but we need action to follow. We need the robust capacity in environmental agencies at the EPA, but also at the state level to focus on environmental justice. Every state needs an environmental justice department. So there's a lot more that we could do to actively address these longstanding and systemic injustices. Moon, in our, our last few minutes, I do want to talk about COVID. I know that you have both been a COVID patient and a COVID caregiver as a doctor. Could you talk a little bit about your personal experiences with COVID and those different those different ways that you've been in the in the center of this crisis too? The biggest lessons for me in, in regards to COVID are the parallels to Flint. The same lessons that we learned in Flint in terms of good governance and science and public health and equity that need to be addressed. And that if anything, what we learned in Flint and what we've done in in Michigan can really serve as a playbook on how to move forward. How do elect leaders who value public health, how to have decisions that are driven by science, how to proactively invest in public health infrastructure, and how to call out inequities and then actively address inequities. For example, in Michigan, quite quickly, we created a racial disparity tax force for COVID. And because of the active efforts of that task force, we've been able to lessen those disparities. We cannot regard this as a one-off, just like Flint wasn't a one-off. Oh, that was that one city over there that didn't treat its water properly. No, the lessons of Flint are everywhere. There continue to be communities that are suffering the exact same injustices where the potential of their children are also best predicted by things like zip code. That's throughout this nation, and we can absolutely do better. And COVID must be that opportunity for us to think big, to reimagine, and to do better, especially on behalf of our most vulnerable. Dr. Bona, thank you for being here, and I hope to see you in person as soon as it's safe, soon. Thank you. I can't wait to give you a hug. Dr. Mona has written about the Flint water crisis in her excellent book, What the Eyes Don't See, a story of crisis, resistance, and hope in an American city. I highly recommend picking up a copy. While the story of what happened in Flint is one of the more visible and recent examples of environmental racism, there are sadly dozens of Flints all over the country. In Texas, predominantly Latino communities like Houston's Manchester neighborhood are suffering from increased rates of cancer and other illnesses because of pollution along the Houston Ship Channel one of the biggest oil and gas manufacturing and transport areas in the United States. Juan Paras has been a community organizer and environmental justice advocate for decades. His organization, Tejas, was founded on the belief that, quote, everyone, regardless of race or income, is entitled to live in a clean environment. I was so glad to have the chance to listen to him talk about what's happening in Texas and in too many other places across America. Houston is often known as the energy capital of the United States, sometimes even the energy capital of the world. What does that mean, though, for people who live in Houston, who live in the shadow of all of that energy being produced every day? It's almost as if they don't exist. Nobody's addressing their concerns and their issues. There's been a study done on the Houston Chip Channel, that if you live within a two-mile radius of the Houston Chip Channel, there's a 56 probability of contact in childhood leukemia. There was another study done by the City of Houston and School of Public Health that says that in the Manchester community, which is one of our main focus, that they're exposed to 12 hazardous air pollutants, seven of which are cancer-causing. They know 
the research is being done by, you know, credible and reliable sources, institutions and universities. And yet uh, they just dispelled it like, well, you know, we got some good information. And the best thing people ought to do is just relocate or move out of there. And we feel like these, well, the public health department are not taking as much interest as I feel that they should to address just the air toxins that actually cause leukemia. Juan, why do you think that the public health authorities in in Houston or in Texas aren't responding more seriously to the very serious health crisis as seen in the elevated rates of leukemia in children and in so many other cancers that affect kids and adults? One of the reasons that I think they don't address it is because it is confirming something that's going on in our communities legitimize our concerns. And then the other issue is that they blame it also on diet. It's what you eat. and But they will blame other issues on these environmental hazards that we're facing instead of saying, look, it's connected to the industry. And this goes on throughout the nation. It's not just our communities. Could you also tell us a little bit about Tejas and the work that your organization focuses on now? Well, our organization focuses primarily to environmental justice or injustice, as some of us call it. And our focus has been to address all the air toxins that there's numerous studies that have been done along the Houston CHIP channel that indicate high levels of air toxins. And we're talking about cumulative impacts and others. The evidence is overwhelming. I mean, the environmental health impacts are not unknown. The consequences, especially for kids, are not unknown. And yet, you know, for years, for decades, you've been pushing for establishing that evidence and and then pushing the local state, the federal government to act on that evidence. Do you ever get discouraged? Because just listening to you, you sound so measured and future-oriented and action-focused. I would say we don't get discouraged because what it does is irritates you so much that you actually get more agitated. You feel like, I'm just not going to let this happen to our communities. I'm not going to let it happen to my family. But you have to defend your position against all odds on behalf of your community and yourself and your families and your neighborhood. Because otherwise, you know, as they always say, if you don't stand up for yourself, you're just going to be abused all the time. So we are standing up for ourselves. We're speaking for our communities in a sense also because we deal with a lot of immigrant population, they're even afraid to speak up, regardless of how bad their situation, because of the fear of maybe immigration raiding their communities and just rounding them up. There's a lot of things that happen in our communities that are beyond the issues of what we call environmental justice issues. Juan, given that you've been in the trenches of this work now for so many years, What gives you hope about the future? I'm hoping that the future generations will have a better life than we have. We need to address climate change, and somebody's got to speak up for it. You can't just be uh, in the audience and say, well, let those kids do it, or let, you know, Atejas, the organization, do it. I think people are coming together to realizing that this is a good cause. It's a cause that has huge implications. It just takes a mindset to get to that point because a lot of us, as they say, live paycheck to paycheck. And when you live paycheck to paycheck, that's all you're trying to do, trying to survive. But when you go a little bit beyond that and you start realizing, well, look, there's other things that are affecting my way of life 
and how can I get involved and how can I make a difference? That's part of what we're trying to do. Just a final question. What does environmental justice look like for the communities where Tejas works? What would it look like for you to say, yes, like this is environmental justice, finally? Bottom line is that what we need to do is the EPA at the national level has to have policies in place that are federally regulated to impose good environmental regulations. If it's left up to individual states, we're going to continue having issues with just local issues. And we need the support of our congressional folks at at the national level as well. In the city of Houston, we rarely have, rarely, our elected officials come out on defense of communities saying, look, we're going to support you on this until, you know, we win this environmental concerns that you have. But you got to care. you got to care about your community. And if you don't care about your community, if, you don't, if you're not impacted by it, it's like, well, you know, that's out of sight, out of mind. Well, Juan, thank you so much for your time today. And certainly, you know, I hope that everyone takes seriously the message of understanding what's happening in our own communities and also listening to people who are living in communities that are disproportionately affected by pollution and uh, more often than not, the twin problem of environmental racism. To learn more about the important work that Juan and his fellow community organizers are doing in Houston, please go to tejasbarrios.org. That's T-E-J-A-S-B-A-R-R-I-O-S.org. We're taking a quick break. Stay with us. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore. Or Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity Voice Remote. 
Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. Local communities speaking out about environmental racism and taking on powerful industries in the process are crucial to drawing attention to injustices. But they can't solve these problems alone. We need leadership on the local, state, and federal levels, too. When President Biden nominated then-Congresswoman Deb Howland to serve as the Secretary of the Interior, it was a major commitment to environmental justice. As a member of Congress, she had introduced legislation requiring the Departments of the Interior and Agriculture to publicly report on their permitting processes. She'd fought for funding to address air pollution in historically marginalized communities. And she has always been passionate about protecting our public lands for everyone. As Secretary of the Interior, she's responsible not only for our public parks, but also for preserving our natural resources and building relationships with tribal governments. Secretary Halland is a member of the Pueblo of Laguna and a 35th generation New Mexican. I was particularly eager to learn from her about how she hopes to address the needs of Native American communities who have been at the front lines of some of the biggest environmental justice battles in our country. Thank you so much for talking with us today. You know, first, I just want to ask how you're doing and how your first month as Secretary of Our Interior has been. Thank you, Chelsea. I'm honored to be here and happy to have an opportunity to speak with you on this important topic. And let's see, it's been busy. <laughs> That's the understatement. I guess the thing that I will tell you right now is I am honored to be on a team of so many dedicated public servants. The Department of the Interior has about 65,000 employees who care for our public lands. They care about our animals. They care about water and air and renewable energy. And it is a true amazing honor to serve alongside so many talented and dedicated individuals. I read that your mother actually worked for the Bureau of Indian Affairs many years ago, which is part of the Department of the Interior. Do you remember your mom talking about her work when you were growing up? And did you ever imagine that one day you might be the Secretary of the Interior? No, I never imagined it, quite frankly. I, You know, I wasn't a kid that said, oh, I want to be a congresswoman when I grow up. I want to be the president. I never said any of that. My mom was actually an office manager in Albuquerque for the superintendent of education in the Southwest region. And she was responsible for student count. She was responsible for counting every single student in that system to make sure that they had the funding that they needed. And she took that job extremely seriously. So she's thrilled, yes, but she dedicated 25 years of her career to Native American students across the country, and, and so she's proud of the work that she did. The Department of the Interior is a big department. You oversee everything from the Endangered Species Act to energy and mining to protecting cultural heritage. Is there one thing that you wish more people understood about your mission and why it's so important to you? You know, I was very fortunate to grow up outdoors. My, my dad, he was an environmentalist, really, and made sure that we were in nature every chance we got. And I know there's a lot of kids who don't have those opportunities. And I'm hoping that 
somehow as a country we can provide folks with those opportunities because I feel like you learn about nature if you're in nature. I completely agree. My parents, thankfully, very much brought me into nature, whether that were hikes on the weekends in Arkansas or some of my earliest memories are going to Glacier National Park or going to Yellowstone, like really being in some of our most majestic spaces and places in our country. And we have so much evidence that being in nature is really good for our health. And so while I bet a lot of Americans don't think of the Department of the Interior first when they think of what part of our government has stewardship for health you actually have such an important role in helping to protect our environment and help people be in nature. Do you see public health as part of your role as the Secretary of the Interior? Absolutely. I remember reading an article about some people on the Navajo Nation who didn't, either they didn't have running water or the water that they had is polluted, so they would have to drive 20 miles to fill water buckets up. I mean, and that is a responsibility of the Department of the Interior and so proud that President Biden recognizes that we need to pay attention and put resources toward cleaning up this environmental degradation so that people have clean water to drink. It's a human right. And during a pandemic, when everybody was washing their hands and worried about that aspect, there were folks in this country who couldn't do that. Likewise, a broadband internet service, right? There are Indian tribes right now, tribal governments who are using dial-up because they don't have access to broadband internet service. So those are issues that we care about, that we're going to work on, that we need to absolutely pay attention to. As I mentioned, with this pandemic, if folks, if more people had access to broadband internet, folks living in those vast rural communities would have opportunities for telehealth, for example. And so there are so many ways that we can impact people's lives positively, and I'm going to look for every single opportunity uh, for us to do that. When you were Congresswoman Holland, you repeatedly called out the role that the Department of the Interior could be playing in helping to not only really combat climate change, but also to really be a force to combat environmental racism and a force for real environmental justice. Now that you're on the inside, as it is, leading the Department of the Interior, how do you think about translating all that passion and energy of, of real accountability into now action? One thing I think about so often as I'm going about my daily work, I'm from Laguna Pueblo, and we were home to the largest open pit uranium mine in the world. For 30 years, three open pit and nine underground mines. When the company left, uranium was blowing around. There's still people who are reckoning with the health impacts of that massive project. And so I think about how we absolutely need to make sure that communities who were impacted by those kinds of issues have a way out, have opportunities to thrive, to live clean lives, to breathe clean air. And so, of course, we'll do whatever we can with the leadership by this president and ensure that, that communities that have been left behind are lifted up. And Madam Secretary, so often it is 
the communities who are most affected by environmental injustice who have to raise the alarm, whether that is in Flint or in your Pueblo. How do you think about ensuring that those voices are heard and listened to, especially from tribal governments? We need to make sure that tribes are genuinely consulted when issues would impact their communities before any decisions are made. So they actually have an opportunity to weigh in on decisions, to make their voices known. Tribal consultation is not texting a tribal leader two hours before a major impact to one of their sacred sites. It's making sure that we have meaningful consultation. I think that in the end, it will save the taxpayers money. It will make sure that we are listening to folks on the ground. And we can change courses when we have that input. Secretary Holland, we spoke a little bit about the disproportionate effects of the COVID-19 pandemic on communities of color in our country, including on our Native and Indigenous communities. Do you think that out of this moment, you really, and the Biden administration, really will have more momentum to tackle all of those inequities and inequalities coherently? Well, I think President Biden hit the ground running, and he came into office during the height of this terrible pandemic. That was his main priority, to make sure that our country got their vaccinations, that they were able to have the resources they need to make sure their communities had masks and medical supplies, but also vaccinations. If you look across the country to some of those communities, Native American communities, for example, have done an amazing job. The Navajo Nation on, on some days has had the highest per capita vaccination rate of any community in our country. Yes, the, the Navajo Nation, the Cherokee Nation, New Mexico's Pueblos, Native American communities, they're seemingly the most organized. Yes, yes, ma'am. <laughs> Using those traditional communication skills and organizing skills to get vaccinations done. They were even inviting people from outside of their communities, call your friends and tell them we have vaccinations for them. And so I feel that we need to continue on this trajectory, making sure that we're vaccinated the country. And when we're healthy, when we can venture out, then our economy will get moving again. Madam Secretary, is there anything else that you would want anyone listening to understand about your work or about really, it sounds like your mission at the Department of Interior and how it connects to environmental justice and, and to public health holistically? This kind of goes back to a question you asked me earlier. We all benefit from our knowledge of the natural world. You're not gonna care about things you don't know about. I just want every single American to know that our public lands belong to you. And I want people to get out there. I want people to experience nature and realize how important it is that we protect these things. Go for a hike, take a deep breath. And be there. <laughs> take a deep breath, be, <laughs> right. in, be in nature. Secretary Holland, thank you so much for your time today. And I certainly am looking forward to taking my kids to National Park or two this summer and hopefully seeing you when it is safe. Thank you again so very much for your time. Of course. To learn more about Secretary Holland's plans for the Department of the Interior, please go to doi.gov and follow her at SecDebHolland. Whether we're talking about lead and drinking water or COVID-19, 
the effects of public health crises are rarely felt equally across communities. Systemic racism and the other inequities that affect people's lives every day have a lot to do with who gets hurt, who gets sick, and who gets the resources they need to address a problem. It also influences whether or not people in a position of power are paying attention in the first place. So what can we do? For starters, we can name and recognize these challenges, we can hold our elected officials and leaders accountable, and we can always amplify the voices of people who are speaking out. When it comes to environmental justice, the good news is that there are lots of organizations already working at the local levels all across our country. So finding one near you tackling a challenge you care about is an excellent way to join the fight. If you're concerned about a specific environmental issue near you, contact your member of Congress or file a complaint through the Environmental Protection Agency. You can do that at echo.epa.gov slash report dash environmental dash violations. In Fact is brought to you by iHeartRadio. We're produced by Erica Goodmanson, Lauren Peterson, Kathy Russo, Julie Subrin, and Justin Wright. With help from the Hidden Light team of Barry Lurie, Sarah Horowitz, Nikki Huggett, Emily Young, and Huma Abedin. With additional support from Lindsay Hoffman. Original music is by Justin Wright. If you liked this episode of In Fact, please make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And tell your family and friends to do the same. If you really want to help us out, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening and see you next week. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! 
Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 